I want to ask you a question. The question is this, when was the last time you felt alone? When was the last time you felt alone and afraid? Or when was the last time you felt alone and afraid because someone has turned against you? Maybe people that you once counted as friends. Maybe people who not only have turned against you, but people who have slandered you in the process. I don't know if you have ever experienced something like that. My guess is most of us have. And if you haven't, you will. And maybe even as I describe some of those questions this morning, you were thinking to yourself as you are sitting here, you know what, that's exactly where I am right now. You're in a room full of other people, but you feel all alone. And maybe you feel afraid. And even as we have sung and as we have prayed and as we have read, you've heard announcements, even as all of that is going on, all you can think about is that former friend who turned on you or those coworkers who cut you out of their circle or that family member who's made life miserable for you. You see, sooner or later, we all know what it's like to be alone, to feel alone. And loneliness doesn't just happen when we're physically alone. As one of our interns helpfully pointed out this week, loneliness can happen as we sit in the middle of a crowded room. We might be physically with other people, but it feels like everyone is just walking around us or maybe talking about us, or maybe alienating us, or maybe moving on without us. And most of us know what that feels like. All of us will one day, in one situation or another, experience what that's like, to have people talk behind your back, to have people turn against you. And this, friends, is where King David is as he pens the words of Psalm 31. We don't know what kind of trouble he's in. We're not told the specifics. His trouble could be as a result of his sin. Verse 10 seems to maybe hint at that at least. We're not given the details why David is in distress. So those details are obviously not important for us. But what we are given is how David feels. And what we see is a man who is alone and afraid and betrayed. Even as those around him seem to have turned against him. Or at least he feels as though those around him have turned against him. And we really get this sense of what David is is experiencing, what he's feeling feeling in his heart of hearts in verses 9 through 13. So I want to begin there because that sets the stage for how David is feeling. And you might think to yourself this morning, well, we're, we're not to be led by our feelings. Our feelings are fickle. Our feelings come and go. And that's exactly right. But that does not negate the fact that we feel. And God cares about how we feel. And we should care about how one another feels. David doesn't gloss over how he feels, but he is incredibly transparent to God, as we should be as well. 
Look at verse 9. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances who see me in the street and flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Brothers and sisters, we should rightly be comforted in the fact that David does not hold back from communicating to God exactly how he feels. We're going to see that David holds tightly on to what he knows to be true about God and the promises that God has made. But let's not miss the fact that David very transparently includes in here exactly how he feels because God cares how he feels just as God cares how we feel. May the Lord help us and teach us through his Holy Spirit that it is not only okay, but it is actually good to pour out our heart before God. And maybe you've done that before. Maybe you were brought to the end of yourself. You were brought to the end of your strength or the the end of your ability to control a situation or the end of your wisdom or the end of your finances or the end of a relationship and you had nowhere else to go. And so you just simply got on your knees and cried out to God. And your prayer wasn't eloquent. It wasn't a line-by-line recounting of the faithfulness of God and what you're holding on to. It It was a cry from the very deepest part of your gut that just declares your loneliness, your hurt, and your betrayal, and your suffering. And that's what we see David doing here. And just notice how his, his emotional distress affects his physical health. Verse 9, my eye is wasted from grief. Like, have you ever cried so much that you were unable to shed any more tears? Like, your eyes were just dry because you had cried so much. In the same verse, verse 9, he says, My soul and my body also, his soul is worn out, his body is worn out. His ribs are likely bruised and sore from all of the crying. His muscles are likely weak from the constant fear. His shoulders probably seem heavy as he struggles to carry on under the weight of loneliness and betrayal. His adrenals are probably taxed from the constant distress. As he writes in verse 10 that his strength has failed, his bones are wasting away. We know what that feels like, don't we? Where our emotional distress, relational betrayal, 
hurts us, affects us, grieves us so deeply that it feels like our bones are wasting. And again, we don't know the exact reason that those people have, around David have turned away from him. We don't know the exact reason that he's been abandoned. We don't know the exact reason that people are talking behind his back and, and seeing him coming and they're going in the other direction. But we know that that's what's happening. And just look at the words that David uses to describe his situation. Verse 1, he's crying out to the Lord for refuge and for help. Verse 4, he speaks about the net that those around him have hidden for him. I don't know necessarily that that's a physical net, probably not a physical net, but it's, it's as though they're, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to catch him. They're, they don't have his well-being and his best interest at heart. Instead, they're against him and opposed to him. Verse 11 Because of his adversaries, he has become approach, especially to his neighbors. Those who should have been closest, those who should have cared about him the most, have now turned against him. Those who see me in the street, verse 11, they flee from me. They don't want to be around me. They see me walking down the hall and they duck into an office to get away from me. They go down the other aisle at Kroger because they don't want to have to talk. He says, I've become forgotten like one who is dead. I've become dead to them. They so disdain me, they so ignore me, it's as though I don't even exist. I've become like a broken vessel. Like what good is a vessel if it's broken, right? That's David's point. My life is, it seems worthless to them at least. For I hear the whispering, verse 13, of many, terror on every side as they scheme together, as they talk behind my back, as they plot to take my life. This is where David is. He is alone and he's afraid and he's in distress. And maybe the reason, friends, that the Holy Spirit does not give us the specifics about exactly what caused this kind of distress is because the point of this psalm is to remind those in distress to take refuge in God regardless of what our distress is. It's just general enough because the Holy Spirit has designed this psalm to not only apply to David, but to apply to us as the people of God today who endure loneliness, who endure betrayal, who endure suffering. And David's prayer This prayer to the Lord begins by communicating his confidence in God's ability to hear and to provide rescue. Notice that's how he begins. His bones are wasting away. He's feeling the depth of, of his loneliness. He's unable to cry anymore. He comes to the Lord. Verse one, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. In other words, lean in. Listen to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me, right? This is contrasting with David's weakness. 
Verses 9 through 13, I'm weak, my bones are wasting away, my eyes are worn out from crying, my strength has failed. And so he's coming to God, recognizing on the confidence of God's promises that God not only hears, but God has promised to be a refuge and to be a strength and to be a strong tower for his own people. In other words, David is appealing to God on the basis of who he knows God to be. It's almost like he's, he's trying to hold on. He's holding on to these truths, even though he doesn't maybe even feel it in the moment. I feel betrayed. I feel alone. I, f- I feel like everyone around me regards me as dead. I feel like this is a hopeless situation. But what I know to be true is that I know, God, you are present. I know, God, that you are listening. I mean, just notice what David appeals to here in verse 1. He appeals to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is God's commitment to save those in covenant relationship with himself. Let me say that again. The righteousness of God is God's commitment to save those in covenant relationship with himself. And David knows of the covenants of God. He knows of the Old Testament covenants that have preceded him. And he knows of the covenant that God has made specifically with him as his anointed king. And so he appeals to God on the basis of what God has promised to do, which is to hear and to act. In a case, we think that this is the first time that Someone appeals to God on the basis of God's covenantal promises. We, we see this over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. In fact, one of the most famous examples might be when the people of God were slaves in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 2, we read, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel, God's anointed covenant people, groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. They're crying out to God. They're groaning. This is exactly what David is doing. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. We know just several verses later, God rescues. Because of the covenant favor of God. Because of the righteousness of God, God heard the cries of his people, the groaning of his people. God heard that and God provided rescue. God was a strong tower. God was a refuge. God was a strength. And so now, 450 years later, David calls on the same covenant-keeping God to hear his cries for help and to answer. It's as though he knows that God has said that he would help his own and he has promised to help his own and he has proven that he helps his own. So I'm now coming to him with my groaning, with my crying, pleading, crying out, asking God to hear my request based on his righteousness, his covenant favor, his promise to rescue his own. And just notice the words that David uses here which communicate exactly what he needs from the Lord. If you scan your eyes down through 
Psalm 31, or you were listening when Jody was reading, you'll notice there are several words that come up over and over again. Words like refuge, deliverance, rock, fortress, redeem. Right? These are words of God's strength. These are words that communicate the, preve- the protective sheltering that God provides. And these are not words that are new to David here in Psalm 31. In fact, back in Psalm 18, listen to David as he prays to God. Psalm 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call out to the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. This is not the first time David cries out to the Lord with his groaning, seeking rescue, seeking refuge, seeking help, and it's not the last. Later in Psalm 144, David prays this, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield. In him do I take refuge who subdues people under me. All of this points to one thing, and that is that David is coming before God seeking security and seeking protection, asking and pleading with God to keep his covenantal promises to both hear to shelter. But that's not all David is asking. Notice how David is asking for God to, to shield him and how he is asking for God to shepherd him. He's, he's asking for God to do that as a shepherd. Verse 3, for you are my rock and my fortress and for your namesake you lead me and you guide me. David knows that so often God's sheltering and God's protection comes through God's leading and God's guidance in our lives. In fact, those are all kind of words that describe the work of a shepherd. One of the interns this week pointed this out with these words, and I thought it was helpful. David, the shepherd, is asking the good shepherd, God, to shepherd him. Like, would you shepherd me, and in that shepherding, I know I will find refuge, and I will find you to be my fortress, and I will find you to be my strength and my shelter. But this psalm is not just about David's comfort. Whatever the circumstances are that caused this distress, caused people to turn against David, David recognizes that this is not just sin against himself, but that God's name is on the line. God's reputation is on the line. God's fame is at stake. And so he prays in verse 3, for your namesake, lead me and guide me. If we were just to rewind the tape a little bit in David's life all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 11, God promises to protect David. God promises to be present with David. And it's on the basis 
of those promises that David now comes to the Lord. Even though he feels all alone, even though he has been betrayed, even though people are talking behind his back, scheming to catch him, even though he considers himself dead, a broken vessel, we can see him coaching himself to find refuge in God, to remember the promises of God the Father. Know that God will never leave him or forsake him. Friends, we, as the people of God, have that same opportunity. Even when we feel alone, even when we feel betrayed, even when we feel like everyone's turned against me. The people I once thought were my friends, I, I now found out, now I know That all this time, when I thought they were my friend, they were actually working against me. They were actually conspiring behind my back. They were actually trying to make my life miserable. They were actually trying to undercut what I was doing. Even in those very moments, we can cry out to the Lord with our groaning. We can cry out to the Lord even when our tears are dry. We can cry out to the Lord even though it feels like our bones are wasting away. And we don't know even what to say or how to say it except to come before the Lord, plead for help, plead for refuge, plead for strength. And we can do that on the basis of God's covenantal promises with us. Just as David did. Because just as David was in covenant with the Lord... If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have turned away from unbelief and are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin, you are grafted into the new covenant people of God, which is even better than the old covenant because the old covenant was written on stone. But the new covenant is written according to Jeremiah 31 on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we have been given the precious gift of the Holy Spirit in whom God has promised, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you because you have my spirit within you. Which means even in the darkest moments of our loneliness, even in those situations where we can't even put our finger on why we feel so alone, we can know and the Holy Spirit can coach us And remind us that we are not forsaken. Because God is with us. That the darkness will not ultimately prevail. That God is, even in the depth of our situation, the depth of our groaning, accomplishing his glory and our good, even when we don't understand how that can be happening. And that's okay. I would imagine there were lots of times in the life of God followers throughout Scripture where they had no idea how the circumstances and situations of their life were being accomplished by God for his glory and their good. And we look back now and we're like, oh, we, we can see a lot of that now. Yeah, because we're like 4,000, 3,000, 2,000 you know, years later. Of course we can see it. And in the same way, we may not always be able to understand, explain why our deepest valleys and our darkest nights of the soul are being used by God for his glory and for our good. 
but on the authority of his good, precious promises and on the record of how God has faithfully kept his promises in the past, we can know that that is true. And so we can go to his word. We can cry out to God in our groaning in our loneliness and our longing. We can go to our brothers and sisters in the faith and say, I don't have any answers. And they may not either. But together we can cry and together we can pray and together we can seek the Lord. This is precisely the hope that we find in David It's because just as David was in covenant with the Lord, we who are in Christ Jesus are in covenant with him. And if you're here this morning and you are not trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, let me plead with you this morning to be reconciled with God on behalf of Jesus Christ who died on the cross as a punishment for sin even though he was without sin. He willingly took the place Of all who would believe, all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus willingly took our place on the cross and died our death for our sin. God raised him to life three days later, defeating sin and death for those who trust in him. And we know that there is a day coming when Jesus Christ will return and will establish his kingdom in all of its fullness. And in that day... We will be with Jesus forever. We will see him face to face. Faith will be made sight, the Bible says. There will be no more tears, no more crying, no more loneliness, no more sorrow. And yet even now, in this life now, in today, July 3rd, 2022, we we have not yet received in full the promises of no more sorrow. No more loneliness. We still experience loneliness. We still experience betrayal. But God's promises are just as true that he is with us to the very end of the age. That he is with us and has not forsaken us. That he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Even when we feel all alone and even when we can't communicate to those around us what's going on inside of us. This is one of the realities that we celebrate in the Lord's Supper when we take the bread, which is the body of Christ broken for us, and we take the cup, which represents the blood of the new covenant. We're celebrating the fact that we are now in Christ, and because we are in Christ, there is not only a hope that is coming one day, but there is a confident assurance, regardless of the ups and downs of this life, that, that, that God is with us. Our lives are hidden with God, with Christ in God. And this is one of the glorious realities that Ava communicated this morning to us through the waters of baptism. Jesus died and was buried for my sin and resurrected on the third day. And in him I have died to sin that I might experience new life in Jesus Christ so that I am no longer alone. We don't know what God has in store for Ava's life. We don't know what God has in store for our own lives. 
but we know that his promises to us are just as sure as his promises to David. And as David strengthens himself in the Lord, we can as well. And so David writes as though God's promises have already been fulfilled in in so many ways. Verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. We don't know that David felt as though God had seen his affliction, but we know that David believes based on the righteousness of God, God has seen my affliction. He has known the distress of my soul. He prays in verse 8, you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place, in a safe place, in a restful place. Again, no indication that the betrayers have come back to him and repented. Oh, we are so sorry we turned our back on you. We're so sorry we've, we've tried to trap you. We're so sorry we, we abandoned you. We stabbed you in the back. We're sorry about that. We were wrong. But yet, even though we don't have any indication that that has happened, David is able to pray, Lord, you have set my feet in a safe place, a secure place, a broad place. He's able to pray to the Lord the words of verses 14 and following, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Verse 14 begins with that word, but. David has just recounted, this is how I feel. This is the depth of my sorrow and my longing, but I'm not going to trust in that. I'm not going to trust in what I feel. I'm not going to trust in what I physically see around me or physically hear around me. I'm choosing by faith, according to your covenantal promises, to trust in you, O Lord. To recognize that my times are in your hand. Even if I don't, again, understand how these times of betrayal are working for your glory and my good, I still recognize they're in your hands. Which is probably the same theme David perhaps had in mind in Psalm 139 when the Holy Spirit led him to write these words. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Get this. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet There was none of them. David is saying, God, God, you knew each and every day in your providential plan, you designed each experience that I am going through that you might be glorified and I might be shaped more and more into your image for, for your glory and for my good and for my eternal joy. So friend, you may be all alone, you might be afraid, you might be in distress, your friends may have turned on you, your own family may have cut you out, co-workers or classmates may talk behind your back, but your covenant-keeping God is near. 
and he sees and he hears and he knows every single day. And he has a plan for each of them. Which is why David is free to write as he does. God, look on me, your child, with favor. Look at verse 16 again. Make your face shine on your servant. You want to know what a shining face looks like? You look at a groom standing at the front of the church waiting for his bride as the doors are open. He sees his bride. Or you look at a mom who is holding her new baby for the first time. Or you look at the face of parents in that courtroom as the adoption is finalized. Or you look at the disposition of your heavenly father as he looks on you, his child. His imperfect and yet trusting child. In fact, this shining face is all a part of the special blessing that God designed for his people to speak to one another. We see this in Numbers chapter 6. The people of God were to greet one another and to bless one another, asking that the Lord would make his face to shine upon one another. I mean, what a, what a wonderful way for you all to kind of part ways a little bit later this morning as you're out in the parking lot or you're in the foyer and you're getting ready to leave, like, well... We'll see you later, see you next week, see you tomorrow, have a wonderful fourth, have a good week. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Is that a little cheesy? Maybe. But maybe because we're just not used to it. But isn't that a wonderful prayer? May God make his face to shine upon you. And we know that if we are in Christ, guess what? His face is shining on you. Which means that prayer is not so much that God would do something, but it's that we would recognize the reality that God is doing something. That if we are in Christ, as Pastor Nick prayed during the pastoral prayer, we have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. That even when we stumble and fall and fail and get up and dust ourselves off and try to follow faithfully, even in our imperfections, God's love and grace is still extended towards us. Not begrudgingly. Not as a father with a scowl saying, well, I'm going to choose to still love you because you're my child. His face shining upon us, even when we're all alone. Even when we've been betrayed. We can be encouraged because the face of our Father is shining upon us, which is why I think David ends both with a doxology, which is words of worship about God, and with a charge or with a call to action. Notice the doxology, verse 19. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. Let me just give you that really loose Eric paraphrase. You have a ton of goodness, God, and you've stored up heaps of goodness for your own people. Just think about that, the metaphor that David gives us there, that God would store up goodness for his own. We don't ever have to worry about the goodness of God like getting into the red zone, getting kind of close to E. God is continuing to store up. God is able to store up goodness faster than we absorb it. 
And then David ends with a charge. Verse 23, love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. You could put a therefore in parentheses. Therefore, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. So the, love the Lord, all you his saints. It's interesting, David would end this psalm not with obey the Lord or not with fear the Lord or reverence the Lord, but he ends by saying love the Lord in light of the fact that God hears us when we call to him because of his covenantal love for his own, even when we are in the deepest valley of loneliness or distress or sorrow or betrayal, we can hope in God, we can place our trust in God, we can pray to God knowing that his face shines on his own, asking that God would give us the ability to see and to feel his face shining upon us. We can worship God recognizing that he has abundant goodness for us despite our circumstances. And then David calls and says, so love the Lord. Right, that's the purpose If David were here this morning, he would say, okay, in light of everything I have just written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here's your takeaway. Love the Lord. Love him. And take courage. Verse 24, be strong and let your heart take courage, which sounds a lot like what God spoke to Joshua As Joshua was lonely and afraid and maybe a little distressed, stepping into Moses' shoes to now take over for Moses, one of the greatest leaders to ever lead a nation. And the Lord comes to him and says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? Because the trial will be over soon. No. Because it's all in your head. No. Be strong and courageous because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And now David, this warrior for the Lord, is alone and afraid and in distress and he takes courage as he remembers the steadfast covenant-keeping, overwhelming, never-ending love of God. And in that love, he finds refuge. In that love, he finds courage and he finds strength and he finds help. Friends, he will not let our soul be lost. His promises will last. We are bought by him at such a great cost. He will hold us fast. Let's pray together.